Welcome to Outdoing, the podcast that's proud to bring you stories from the people working with and for the natural world. This is episode three, Beavers. My name's Gabrielle Flynn. And I'm James Sylvie. And this is Outdoing. Alright James, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I've had a good week. You? Yeah, really good. I uh, went up to the Cairngorms at the weekend Nice for my dad's 70th and uh, it was all covered in snow and beautiful and haven't seen it like that in a good three years. So it's really special. Went on our one of my favourite walks up to the Green Loch in Rivalin Bothy and back. Ah, cool. Yeah. Did you see much wildlife-wise? Um, did. I saw some hare tracks, saw some deer tracks in the snow. Um, but no, not much wildlife other than that, actually. But it had a very special atmosphere, so that was good enough for me. Yeah, it's been Baltically cold here in Scotland this week. Like nighttime temperatures of minus six, which maybe for some listeners is like, ha, you call that cold. But for us, that is ridiculously cold. So mm. one of the things that I did this week was do my top tip from the other podcast and take mm-hmm. out some of the apples that I'd stored, cut them in half, put them out. And yeah, I've had blackbirds coming in, feeding on them. So yeah, it works. Great. I'm <laughs> going to do that straight after this, actually. My apples have been sitting in the freezer for the last three weeks. So, get them out. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah. And there's uh, the other bird as well, which, if you're really lucky, you might see is waxwings, which are just, yeah, absolutely stunning. If you've never seen a waxwing, Google it. Um, But it looks like it's going to be a good waxwing year um, Mm. in Scotland. So, they come over from Scandinavia and there's a lot about, including Edinburgh. Excellent. So, yeah, this episode is a slightly unusual one. Instead of us interviewing somebody, we decided to take ourselves out on an adventure so that I could see my first wild beaver. And we thought this would be a really cool thing to introduce to the series because it'll give you a chance to experience what it's like to go out surveying for things and experiencing conservation with us so that you can learn a bit more about yeah what we do when we're out and about. Yeah, and one of the best things is seeing your first anything, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a real experience. So it was, yeah, it was really cool being able to share that with you and seeing mm-hmm. your first wild beaver. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit more? Because you're the beaver expert of the two of us. <laughs> can you tell us a bit more about why beavers have been recently reintroduced to Scotland? Why are they not here already? And yeah, and, and when were they reintroduced? Yeah, so beavers are a part of the native fauna in Britain. So at the end of the last ice age, when the glaciers retreated, there was a big movement of wildlife back into Britain and beavers made up part of that wildlife that moved back in and they've been here ever since. But they were hunted extensively, largely for their for their meat and for their fur and the, the wetland habitats which they create but also require were drained. And so what we actually saw was a reduction in the beaver population to the point of extinction about 400 years ago. And that's when the last beaver was uh, was hunted in the UK. And then from then, you know, our wetlands and our landscape has been devoid of something that has been here for tens of thousands of years. 
until just recently when beavers were reintroduced. And the reintroduction story is a bit complicated in the fact that there was a population in one part of Scotland which was um, released beavers or escapees. So it was like a, a unauthorised population which, which grew quite large. That was on the east of the country in Tayside. And then there was an official trial reintroduction of beavers in the west of the country um, and the result, ultimately, not to go into too much detail, was that beavers were decided it, they, they were native and that they were going to be reintroduced into the UK again and they were given protected status. And the highest protection that they can, can be given in the UK is European protected species status. So that's the status that we're in at the moment. So we've got a population of beavers in the west, a, a much larger population of beavers in the east, uh, but all beavers are protected and yeah, they're, they're back as part of our native fauna in the UK, well, in Scotland at least. So in this episode, you'll notice that we're extra careful and quiet when we're out recording. We're whispering, we're not getting too close to the animals, we're also not giving away our location. And that's not just because we don't want to disturb the beavers, but it's because they are legally protected, and so it would be illegal to disturb these animals. That means we have to be extra careful and cautious when we're out observing them. In reintroducing species, especially mammalian species, can often cause a bit of conflict because they're seen as a competitor to other ways of managing and dealing with the land. What kind of what kind of conflicts do we face? What kind of conflicts have we faced in terms of reintroducing beavers? And what kind of ongoing conflicts are we trying to manage at the moment? Yeah, there's there's a buzzword or two buzzwords that you'll hear a lot about beavers, which is they're ecosystem engineers. You know, they change the landscape to suit themselves. And another really good example of an ecosystem engineer is humans. Mm -hmm. you know, we completely change the landscape to suit ourselves. And we don't like it when something else tries to do that. You know, if we wanted, if we wanted a field flooded, we'd flood the field, you know. So it's about learning, I think, to live with beavers again. For 400 years, we haven't had to live with beavers. You know, if we decide uh, we want a wetland in a certain place, then it's in that place and it's not in another place, generally speaking. Um, but with beavers, we've lost that bit of control. And I think because our river systems have changed so much, you know, we a lot of river systems don't have any riparian woodland along the side of them, which is not just great for beavers, but f for a range of other wildlife as well. And a lot of them have, you know, big flood banks along the side of them. And mm -hmm. in some instances, we've reduced our, you know, our rivers, which are the, you know, the wildlife arteries of our countryside into drains, where it's just about get the water off the land as quickly as possible, get it straight, high flood banks off. Um, and beavers don't really fit into that. You know, they, they're trying to change that landscape into something that suits themselves. Now, in some instances, it's very difficult to live alongside beavers when we have low-lying agricultur agricultural um, land, which has maybe got drainage ditches running along the side, and you've got a beaver that floods that drainage ditch and then floods the land. That's going to be very difficult to, to mitigate against. There's ways around it, but it's going to be very difficult. Um, and in those cases, you know, there's management options available including to remove the beavers and translocate them somewhere else. And then in other instances um, where perhaps, you know, the beavers created a dam that's flooded a, you know, a particular area, but, you know, it's not important uh, agricultural land, we can actually, there's ways that we can monitor and uh, mitigate against that by regulating the water level. And we talk a little bit about that when it comes to um, something called a beaver deceiver when we're uh, in one of the first sites where we're looking for beavers. So I think 
it it's really about learning to live with these animals again. I think some of the areas where we're currently seeing conflict, maybe in two or three generations where we've learned to uh, you know, live alongside these animals, we just won't see the conflict there at all. But it's a learning process for mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah, and it's about everybody coming together and compromising and recognising the role of different landowners, the role of different species, and and also being honest about the fact that we have a, a crisis to address, and that is the biodiversity crisis and the ecological crisis and we need to address that by restoring our landscape. Part of restoring our landscape is reintroducing keystone species. That's just a a fact of how we're going to address this big issue. And so compromises need to be made to achieve that. 100%. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, And with that, should we dive into the adventure that we had? Yeah, here we go. Okay, so we've made it to a burn near Perth. That's as much as we can see. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> We're going to be out looking for beavers today, try and find my first ever beaver. Yeah, quite exciting. Yeah, really exciting. Because <laughs> you've been and done beaver work over in Napdale, haven't you? But yeah. you, you never actually got to see an animal. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So done a bit of volunteering for a week to look for the signs of the beavers, do some survey work basically to try and monitor how those beavers were doing because they were the original reintroduction population. Yep. And we did look several nights in a row to try and actually see a beaver but never got to actually see a beaver even went out on a kayak to try and see see a beaver didn't see a beaver so this is my second attempt or maybe i guess fifth attempt attempt <laughs> well fingers crossed i mean it's a it's a good time of year to look for them <clears throat> uh, it's springtime so you know the beavers will be wanting to kind of top up their caches so yeah fingers crossed uh, we'll be lucky tonight i mean i guess in napdale you saw all the normal signs of like beaver sticks and all the signs and lodges and, and dams so hopefully we'll come across them as well um so they've just woke up from winter what what have they been up to well, they don't hibernate, okay. so um, essentially what they'll be doing is they're still active all the way through the winter, but they'll just be in their lodge, going down to the food cache, which is essentially um, sticks and vegetation that they've stored from, from the previous year. And that food cache is held um, by the side of the water or underwater because the water's so cold that it keeps it nice and fresh. Nice. So they'll mostly just kind of be mooching between the food cache and the lodge. Um, and then the females will be getting ready to give birth. They, they mate during the winter as well, oh, so the females okay. will be getting ready to be, give birth pretty soon. I guess they've, guess they've got to keep warm somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you you mentioned that they store these twigs and sticks and stuff underwater, so that's what they eat. I mean, I know that's what they eat, but our listeners might not know that's what they eat. So, yeah, what is the diet of a beaver? Yeah, well, they're herbivorous, so um, they eat vegetation, they don't eat fish. So it's not Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobes where the uh, the beaver's feeding up fried fish. During the summer months, they'll be feeding on a wide range of like vegetation, plant-side vegetation, and also, um, you know... Uh like trees along the uh, along the riverside and essentially what they're doing there is they'll be felling small trees sometimes larger trees to access the uh the growing bit you know the, the leaves um and then during the winter time obviously there's no fresh growth so what they do is they're feeding on essentially the bark of uh, the green bark of the the food cache that they're storing which is the smaller branches and, and sometimes bigger branches that they've taken from the trees the previous summer did you spot something? No, there's just there's a tree down over there. I mean, we're surrounded by trees that have been uh, brought down by Storm Arwen, but there's one just there that's right by the side of the river. But no, I was hoping it might have been a, uh, the first sign of a beaver, but no, it looks like it's been brought down by the storm. Yeah, so what are we looking for then? 
So the first thing that we're kind of be looking for is field signs. So that's kind of gnawings of beavers. Uh, that might be along the side of the uh, the riverbank. If it's a big tree, you often see them like they're, they're real obvious visual markers because once they've kind of taken away the the outer bark, then the cambium's left, and the cambium is like sometimes really bright orange, like in older trees. Mm-hmm. It's bright orange, so it's a really obvious visual visual marker. Mm-hmm. And you see all the little chips as well, like the wood chips. Um, so we'll look out for that. We might see a dam if yeah. we're looking, which will be really obvious. You know, we'll see that the stream is suddenly getting wider and deeper, hopefully. And then a lodge. Um, so lodges can either be sometimes a little bit difficult to see if they're just kind of buried into the bank, or they can be like big, like branchy structures that are really obvious. So yeah, who knows? Um, yes, yeah, so they, they kind of look. I think they kind of look like pencils. Yeah, yeah, it's got a very kind of obvious point to it, hasn't it? Yeah. Like when beavers have been gnawing at it because they essentially kind of go around and gnaw all the way around mm-hmm. and, then, and then it comes down, hopefully not squashing the beaver. But um, yeah, you, you kind of, uh, another thing that you sometimes see is like, I've got one like at home, it's, it looks like a beaver sculpture and essentially it's where they've gnawed at one end and gnawed at the other, but made almost like a round ball with like two pointy ends. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's quite weird. Um, so you sometimes see them kicking around as well. Hmm. There was two things that you chatted about there, which I thought, were important to bring up one of them is obviously that they bring down bring down trees mm-hmm. and then the other one is that they change the structure of a river yeah in many countries in europe they see that as a really positive thing because beavers r- create a more natural diversity in in a river system which actually helps to stop flooding mm-hmm. in urban areas so in really really overmanaged land and and countries like the uk mm-hmm. we have straightened all our rivers for the benefit of things like agriculture and also to create houses and put housing on floodplains floodplains make yep. great building sites because they're flat yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until they flood and so we've really really overmanaged a lot of our water courses mm-hmm. and what that's created is more and more flooding because all we've done is created an easier passage for the water to reach our urban areas yeah and with climate change you've got increasing extreme weather increasing rainfall which is making that flooding problem even worse and what beavers are really good at is that they reintroduce that water course diversity that we accidentally took away because we didn't realize what it was going to do the complexity yes they bring that complexity back which not only helps us but it also creates more habitat for loads of different freshwater creatures but people might not like to hear that they bring down trees especially when we're trying to plant more trees yeah so is there any benefit to them doing that yeah well i mean You've got to remember that beavers have co-evolved with with trees for millions of years and so you know a lot of our riparian trees coppice really well you know think of a willow you cut down a willow it just sends up like a hundred willow shoots um and you know that's probably in response to animals like beavers and bigger animals that kind of come along and just push once pushed over trees like during the last ice age so our trees are kind of we we kind of see them as these like uh, completely undynamic structures but they are, they're really dynamic living creatures and so you know if they there's a tree here that's fallen over and we can see it's obviously fallen over some time ago because all the branches are pointing up again you know mm-hmm. rather than in the wrong direction you know they're going for light so yes beavers will bring down trees but they won't completely um like defoliate an area they won't clear fell an area of trees you know they'll leave trees and the trees that you know they have um gnawed and fell they're not dead you know they'll coppice and if they're allowed to completely regenerate uh, and 
and copy swell, then beavers won't return to them for, you know, for a number of years because it's not in their interest to come back and just kind mm. of eat out their food supply. Where there is an issue is where other herbivores like deer then come along and, and feed on the coppice trees. And, and that is an issue in some areas where we're not seeing the regeneration that we maybe would have done because there's, there's, you know, deer are a, a serious browser of, of that coppice. So yeah, so they so they don't they don't always kill the tree. They, what they do is they just create a new habitat, which is good for a whole range of of wildlife, including deer, but also including loads of invertebrates, yep. loads of mosses, and and anything else that feeds on on that tree. And when they do bring down a tree, they're creating a really really important type of habitat, which mm-hmm. is deadwood. Yeah, yeah. And deadwood is probably the most underrated habitat there is. And it's so, so important for many species, including woodpeckers and also saproxylic beetles, which are beetles that feed on deadwood. Mm -hmm. And also many, many hoverflies, which are really important pollinators. I think it was something, I might need to, I'll need to fact check this, but I think it's something like a third of British wildlife actually directly relies on deadwood. Mm. Um, Whether it be because they feed from invertebrates that feed there, or whether it's because they're directly feeding on it. So beavers are not only creating more freshwater habitat mm-hmm. they're creating a different kind of wood- woodland habitat mm-hmm. and they're creating deadwood habitat which is really good for lots of things and that's why we call them ecosystem engineers there we go <laughs> right let's uh the light's fading so i think we should walk up the burn and see if we can find a spot where we can just sit and watch quietly and see if we can see something okay cool Okay, so what have we found? Uh, well, we just found our first very small beaver dam. Um, so yeah, you can hear the water kind of running over the top of it. Interestingly, if you look at the difference, just there between you know the, the colour of the water like mm. above the dam mm. and the colour of the water below, like it's much clearer below than above, uh, and that's one of the benefits that beavers bring. Because they filter the the dam filters the water. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's holds really back cool. The sediment. Yeah. Beaver activity. Yeah. yeah. Getting closer. Even the trees here, you know, these are willow trees that have they've got gnaw marks all over them. But they're still coming into bud, you know. Mm-hmm. They're tough old things. As we make our way down the river, we start to notice more and more signs of the beavers. We find dams, we find a lodge, and we even, as we describe here, find feeding signs. We're keeping an eye out for any movement on the water and we've also got our ears tuned in to see if we can hear any slaps of beaver tails on the water surface. Because our senses are so tuned in to the environment, we also start to notice other wildlife and that keeps us entertained while we're waiting for the beavers to make an appearance. Those ducks. Oh my God, we thought we saw a beaver but it was just a duck. Two ducks. <laughs> Two ducks, sorry. Male and female, it is spring. I think a fish just jumped over there. Oh yeah. Beaver ponds equal fish. Beaver ponds equal fish. Good for fishermen and fisherwomen. Those red kites. Yeah. Yeah. We just spotted two red kites. So yeah, Todd. Todd's still good. Crawling along. They they're mountain climbers quite distinctive, right? Yeah, like... How they move. Yeah. Because yeah. a mountain climber, that's like what you do in, the gym, in, a, in a boot camp. 
I'm listening back to that and I'm detecting that at this point you were starting to lose the faith a bit. Yeah, I don't sound as enthusiastic or hopeful as I did at the beginning of the of the expedition. No. And from memory, at this point, it was getting really dark. So it was, it was, even if there had been a beaver in the burn, we'd have really struggled to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think at this point, we started to just work our way back home. Yeah. I reckon we walk a little bit that way. I keep having a feeling about that way. I don't know if it's because my dinner's that way. Nay, beavers. <laughs> Not tonight, but we're going to come back. Yeah. This is it's part of the process. It's finding out where, well, where they live, <laughs> where, you, where we can see them. Yeah. You know, today, tonight we saw, what, dams, a couple of lodges. One lodge looked older than the other one, so we kind of edged our bets and was in between them. So I think next time we come back, we'll just kind of stake out the first one that we saw. Yeah, so tonight was a preliminary stake out to find all the lodges and the signs of the beavers next time will be a stakeout of their actual lodge and then we'll definitely see one yeah we're not lying on this podcast other podcasters might have uh, gone back (laughs) another day and told you that they'd seen it that time but this is reality and seeing wildlife isn't that easy nope this is yeah real talk (laughs) out doing podcasts So it's this exit. And just follow it on. Where are we, James? So we are at a new beaver site. The few weeks that we were going to leave it until we come back and see beavers again turned into a few months. Uh, but I've been recommended a new beaver site, which is just in... Clackmanshire, which is the smallest county in Scotland, and we're just heading down to the river now to yeah see if we can spot some beavers. Take two. And it's a beautiful day. It's I mean that's it's very that's golden. Right. We're going to walk through the woodland now, and yeah, just we're at the the foot of the Oakles, so the light's shining on the hills, and it's it's yeah, a really really it's beautiful a really evening. Nice evening. It's yeah. been twenty five degrees today in Scotland, just your average summer day. Taps off. <laughs> yeah, taps off. Do we go along this path here? Yeah? Yeah, just climb over the fence here. Actually, I'm going to have to take a picture, it's beautiful. So, we are currently wandering through a beautiful meadow of clover and buttercups at the moment, and horses, and just walking along the side of the river, trying to look for signs of our beaver friends, and James says he has a good feeling, so fingers crossed. What can you see, James? Um, so there was just a ripple in the water. So the bit of the river where we're at, at the moment, the willow comes really low down to the water. So it's really easy for the beavers to just slip underneath and feed in complete peace. And you just you wouldn't be able to see them. The only thing that gives them away is just the ripples of the water as they're feeding. We are now working our way upstream, trying to find signs of the beaver again. So we did spot it, James spotted it, I saw a movement, I didn't see the full thing. And James is determined that I have to see the full body of the beaver for it to be an official sighting. And so we're working our way up to try finding it.
we just spent some time watching a beaver having its tea, just munching away on some willow, not seeing us, and just enjoying its meal. And it was really, really special to be able to just sit and watch it just peacefully and get to see it like that. It was very exciting. I did a lot of silent screaming. Um, and now we're on our way to see the, to the lodge because um, there's supposed to be a couple of kit there. Love that. That is very you, Gabby. Yep. Yeah, very excited. Great. That is exactly <laughs> the right reaction when you see your first beaver in the wild. Spot on. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. Um, we actually then got to watch them for a while, and we moved on and found a lodge, and the habitat was just completely different from the habitat that we saw the first day. It just looked a lot healthier, a lot lusher, and yeah, we talk a bit about that now. When beavers just have like a bit of space, like on either side of the river, you wouldn't even know they were here. Mm. You know, there's there's very few feeding signs that we can see because the vegetation's so lush, and probably because of the feeding activities of beavers, because they're constantly clipping and snipping away at the willows, it, it makes it so much bushier. We've just spotted another beaver. beaver. That's why James stopped talking. <laughs> But what, we, what we're observing in this area compared to the last area is that the, the, the trees and the shrubs, they're very, very bushy. It's not, it's not like they've chopped down all the trees, um, like James is saying. It's, it's actually an area that's totally thriving and we've already seen, what, three beavers? Four beavers? Yeah, three. Three yeah. Just, just shows where beavers thrive. Life thrives. <laughs> This, this uh, podcast is not biased at all. <laughs> what do you think of this site compared to other sites that you've been to? It's chalk and cheese, to be perfectly honest. So a lot of the sites that I've been to have been conflict sites mm. where beavers have dammed agricultural drains or where there is a very narrow margin between the river and yeah, agricultural land. And when I say narrow margin, sometimes it's, you know, 30 centimetres, it's, it's nothing at all. Where here on one side, we've got what looks like um, like marshland, essentially, like really tall reeds um, and, and willow scrub, which is just ideal. And on the side that we're stood on is essentially uh, grey scrubland, uh, which is grazed by horses. And it's a real mosaic mm. because on one side you've got you know thick scrub, which is great for you know, any wildlife that needs a like, nest. Yeah, likes mm. to be well hidden. And then on this side you've just got grassland, which is going to be great for invertebrates. I imagine like through the day it's half, it's almost half ten at night at the moment. But through the day I'm sure it'll be moving in grasshoppers and bees mm. and pollinators. Uh, it's finding nesting sites as well. Definitely, yeah like as in mining bee nesting sites because the horses because of the way the horses graze the land and also then churn it up with their hooves they create lots of bare ground so that things that like to nest in the ground will then find a place to go yeah no it's a beautiful site it's really nice and the thing that you know always um, sticks with me when you come to a site like this is it's really difficult to see signs of beavers you you just wouldn't know they were here it's Mm. so easy to just walk by and just yeah, be completely oblivious. 
Also because it's it's nearly July, so it's like at that really lush time of year. It's really ni- it's really nice because I've never looked for beavers at this time of year, so I don't know what their habitat looks like in its prime, really. Yeah, yeah, like this. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's great as well because you know the summer solstice was just a couple of days ago. It's so light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, you can see them so easily. And we've had great views tonight. Really good views. Really good views. Yeah. So, Gabby, you've just seen your first beaver in the wild. Thoughts? Reflections? Um, it was unbelievably exciting. <laughs> uh, I screamed with my whole body silently, so not to, so as not to scare it away. There was a squeak. I yeah. did hear a squeak. Yeah, yeah, there was. It escaped. <laughs> uh, when I saw the movement the first time, when I didn't quite spot it, it was exciting. But you never, you ne- you don't, you don't remember that thrill of seeing something for the first time until you again see something for the first time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It's just like it's an uncontrollable joy that you get from seeing wildlife that you've been wanting to see for a long time. Yeah, there's yeah, there's nothing else like it. Yeah, and something like a beaver as well, it's, it's a real privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, as a kid, I can't, you know, I didn't ever thought that you'd get something like beavers in, you know, the UK. Beavers were, like, you had to go to Canada or Finland yes. or somewhere to see beavers in my mind. So the fact that, you know, we've driven only half an hour from my house and, you know, to this amazing place and some oh, beavers so is, cool. yeah, is very cool. Just, yeah, because just, like, thinking about the kind of wildlife I saw when I was a kid, you just... You just dreamed of going to other countries to see nature because the UK has, had decimated so much of it, its nature and now to see finally some of it coming back and us understanding the value of restoring these keystone species and it's just so nice to, to see all this stuff in front of our eyes, especially seeing as all this work we're doing to restore forests we'll never see because well, we'll be dead <laughs> before it's actual forest. But with the reintroductions like the beaver, you, you see you see the value straight away. You see the change in the ecosystem straight away. It's yeah, yeah. It's one of the nicest things about when uh, when nature kind of takes you to spots that you wouldn't go to normally, mm-hmm. um, and you find like real gems. Like there's there's loads around me that are just really nice places that I enjoy going for a walk, and. You know, sometimes it's only because maybe there's been a record of a particular species or, you know, I look at an OS map and think, oh, I've never been there before. And I'm nosy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's called raking your patch and there's nothing quite like it. Having yeah. a rake around and, yeah, finding these special places because the wildlife already knows they're here. Yeah. Um, it's just for us to f- discover. Yeah. And you, you forget that when you're just, like, you're just driving around and, and you think you know... You think you know the country because you've driven around it and you've seen what you've seen, but you've actually missed like 90% of the country unless you go exploring. Exactly. It's actually one of the things that I love most about working in conservation is the places that you get to see that most people don't because, yeah, we we just don't do as much exploring in that way Mm -hmm. as we used to. Definitely. So at the end of each outdoing episode, we like to give a bit of advice so that you might help to turn things around for biodiversity in the UK or Scotland or beyond. And today we're going to go ahead and give you a very specific beaver-themed piece of advice. And James, would you like to lead on that? Sure, yeah. So 
just recently, really, Scottish Government changed their position on beavers and allowed translocations to happen uh, in other areas of Scotland, which was a major kind of policy shift. And so what we're seeing now already is a number of translocations that are starting or, um, you know, very early stages of uh, preparing for uh, to start consultations for translocations so there's one that's going on in Loch Lomond uh, and there's talk of one in the Cairngorms uh, and, and north of there as well so I guess my bit of advice is that if you want to see more beavers in the landscape then look out for these because all these applications will have an element of public consultation you might live local to one which would be great if you can get across your positive views you might not live local but if you want to see beavers across Scotland in all the areas where they're meant to be then engage with them because they'll want to hear from you no matter where you live uh, in the UK. Yeah, extremely important bit of advice there. Basically, participate in democracy and nature will come back. Over and out. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Success. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I really enjoyed that. We should do that more often. Yeah. Yeah, we should. Yeah, maybe uh, in a future episode we think of another species that neither of us has seen and, yeah, make it a journey to go and and spot it yeah because i think a lot of a lot of what we actually do and in i know it sounds absurd to get paid to do this but a lot of what our jobs have involved in the past is being out in the fields looking looking for things uh, and that's why we love this job because you just get to go out and be excited like that uh, so it's really nice to take you on that journey and it gives you a bit of insight into into what conservation involves sometimes Definitely. And did you fact check the bit about deadwood invertebrates? I did. So, yeah, 34% of British wildlife relies on deadwood. Oh, check you out. Important, Knowledge. Yeah, important habitat. <laughs> and actually, so later on, after we recorded this episode, I went on to have a big adventure, but in the United States. So I've wanted to do this big train journey across the States for about 10 years, and I found, finally found the time to do it. So I went from north to south, so from Oregon down to New Mexico, and I also went from west to east, so from California all the way to New York. Uh, on the way, I obviously tried to see as much wildlife as I could, and part of that was going to Yellowstone National Park. And in Yellowstone, they had only one colony of beavers left up until 1995 because they'd got rid of wolves, and that had impacted the habitat, and it had re massively reduced the number of beavers. But then when they reintroduced the wolves, the beavers were able to, able to thrive once more because... Why is it, James? No, well, essentially because then the wolves are managing the uh, the elk, which were coming down and feeding in the riparian zone, which was meaning there was less food for beavers. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, by having wolves back in, it meant that not only was there less elk, but more importantly, it changed the elk behaviour. They didn't want to stay in the areas where wolves like to hunt. And so because there was less elk in those areas, there was more regen, which meant beavers could move back in. Yeah, exactly. So just showing how important top predators are there. But yeah, I saw this landscape. This I went on this hike called beaver ponds and you could see a landscape that had for 30 years been been lived in and molded by beavers and it was just absolutely incredible the the ponds and lakes that you found there were th absolutely thriving with life I've, I've never seen 
I've never seen habitat or ecosystems looking so healthy. There was a point where we were walking through a meadow right next to one of the beaver ponds and I have never, ever seen so many butterflies in my life. It was like a cloud of multicolored butterflies just rose up as I was walking through the meadow. And I, it felt like a Disney movie. It felt like artificial to see that much life in one place. And you could just see this like mosaic of habitat and you could see how much the beavers had influenced it in this really positive, really healthy way. And I was like, oh, this is like, this could be what parts of Scotland are going to look like in 30 years time if we let beavers do their thing. Wow. We just heard how excited you got about seeing your first beaver. I can't imagine the noises of excitement that you were making when you saw clouds of butterflies like a Disney movie. I know. Yeah, I was quite ridiculous through that whole trip. And that's not even the... That's that's the tip of the iceberg for that trip. But whilst I was over there, I took the opportunity to chat to some fellow nature doers. And we actually have three episodes from that trip. One I actually recorded whilst we were there. And the other two we actually recorded in Scotland, but we just we did it over Skype. But I'm really excited to introduce you to those three people that I met because they come at conservation and they come at, at protecting the environment from three de- very different angles. And yeah, it'll just be really interesting to hear about what goes on across the other side of the Atlantic. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, speaking to the, the two people that I got to speak to because Gabby didn't take me on the trip. Like, yeah, it, it was a, It was a Gabby solo trip. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, some really interesting conversations coming up. And I think that's us. Yeah. Yeah, over and out. Thanks very much for listening. Make sure you review and rate us and share us and do all those things that you're supposed to do if you love a podcast. Outdoing is presented by Gabrielle Flynn and James Sylvie. It's produced and edited by Gabrielle Flynn. The opening track is Frenzy of the Meeting by Braybach. The closing track is Back to the Woods by Jason Shaw. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Have you got any questions for us? Or is there anybody you think we absolutely have to interview? You can contact us by email or Twitter. Links to those in the episode description. James and I uh, both have voices like foghorns, so I hope you appreciate the restraint it takes to go do wildlife watching and be quiet. This has turned into beaver ASMR. <laughs>